Hello friends, welcome to Running and Fitness with Raj. This show will bring you exciting and interesting guests and give you specific and actionable advice on your running, fitness and general health. Today's episode is slightly different. In today's episode, we start our occasional series of synopsis or summaries. These are earlier episodes which had led to a lot of in, uh, listener interest and questions and where we introduce concept which, concepts which may not be very well known to listeners. And one such topic which we did way back in our episode number 15 was on heart rate variability or HRV. And this was a discussion with uh, one of the leading exponents of HRV in the world, Simon Vigariff from UK. This is episode number 15. So today we bring to you the key aspects of HRV, the concept of total load and the linkages between the two. How, how do you measure HRV and why is changes in HRV and the higher HRV and improved, uh, uh, you know, a measure of improved fitness? And finally, five practical ways in which you can work on improving your HRV. So here we go. Happy listening. And if you have other topics of interest like this, please write to me and I'm happy to do an occasional synopsis from earlier podcasts. Thank you. So uh, just for listeners, uh, can you in, uh, just explain what exactly heart rate variability is? Yeah, sure. So a lot of people probably, when they think about their heartbeat, especially at rest, they think that it probably beats like a metronome. And, you know, if you're a reasonably fit and healthy person, it's going to be beating around 60 beats per minute. And whilst that is true in the sense that that's the average, what actually happens is that the heart rate is continuously changing and adjusting. And there are, there are several reasons for that. It's all to do with efficient operation of the body. Um, but one of the, one of the significant mechanisms is that when you breathe in, your heart rate actually increases and it increases quite significantly. And when you breathe out, it decreases again. And although you won't see this in the average heart rate because it's, it's an average over a, a large, you know, a number of successive beats. By using, by using heart rate variability, you can analyze the difference between the spacing of the individual heartbeats, and you can derive some very interesting information from that. And again, somewhat counterintuitively, the healthy heart doesn't actually beat like a metronome. There's a lot of, essentially, the more variation, the better, because it says something about the ability of the, the, the dynamics of the human body to adjust quickly to changing circumstances. And that is the hallmark of a, of a healthy body. And in fact, in, in the very in the, in the very fittest people um, on the planet, you can sometimes actually see a two to one variation between their heart rate when they're breathing in and when they're breathing out. So this is just, this is not a not a small change. And the bigger the change, the the healthier, the more recovered, the more aerobically fit you are. I mean, I know you talk a lot about this concept called the total load, and obviously yeah. that's uh, linked to uh, heart uh, HRV or heart rate variability. Yeah. So, can we start with, uh, in in your words, what is this concept of total load that uh, you talk about? Yeah, so total load, I think, is an important concept not only for people training, um, uh, but for life in general. So, the the body has some some responses to stress. Uh, we've probably all heard about the sympathetic or the fight or flight branch of the nervous system. Um, you know, the release of stress hormones, so adrenaline and cortisol. I think, you know, a lot of your listeners will be familiar with those terms. 
What they might not be so familiar with is that the human body's response to stress adds up, so over a number of different kinds of stress. So when, when we're training, we tend to think that the exercise or the workout is the only stress that we put on our bodies, and we might not even be thinking about it as stress, um, but actually it is. So you don't get fitter during your workout, you get fitter during recovery. What happens during the workout is that you put your body and your system under stress and it takes note of that uh, in a number of different ways, hormonally and through the nervous system um, and through, you know, damage to muscles, etc. And it says, okay, you know, this, this load, this component of the total load is something that I need to adjust to. So it will rebuild itself and rebuild a little bit stronger than it was before in order to be able to cope better with that same load when that happens next time. And that's really, that's the secret of training is this thing called the super compensation. So that when your body recovers, it goes a little bit stronger than it did before. So that's one element of total load. Another element of total load is, uh, and this is, this is, Perhaps the most significant one for a lot of amateur and recreational athletes is actually the mental and emotional um, stress. So we all have busy lives nowadays. Um, we have hectic schedules. Um, you know, we have a lot of things going on. And that mental stress has a big impact on our bodies as well. And if we just take the two kinds of stress we've talked about so far, so the physical stress of training and the mental and emotional stress, it actually turns out that those, you know, that the body has a total tolerance for stress. So if you're very mentally or emotionally stressed at a point in time, the amount of training that your body can accommodate is less than if you did a good job at managing the mental and emotional stress. That would leave more of the body's total stress budget or, uh, to, to, to be available to deal with training stress. So an, an, another significant component of stress for many people is also, um, uh, is also caused by nutritional or chemical stresses. So those are the stresses we have by not having an ideal diet or perhaps by, you know, smoking or consuming alcohol, you know, things that we basically put into our bodies that our body doesn't really like. Um, and, and that's another component of this total load. So by designing a good diet that works well for our body, supplies the right macro micronutrients, we can reduce that component of the total load, which means there's then more available for the physical stress or the physical plus mental stress. And then the, the, the other sort of component of the total load really is, is the recovery. And then, you know, sleep is the principal mechanism, you know, by, by which we recover. We need adequate nutrition to rebuild, but sleep is where a lot of the magic happens. And particularly in the first four hours of sleep, that period is especially important because the key hormones that enable this supercompensation, um, which are human growth hormone and testosterone, and that's also true for female athletes, testosterone is also very important, although present in, in lower quantities, it's sleep, you know, during which the magic of recovery happens. And if your sleep is not ideal, then the total stress budget that's available for the mental stress, the chemical stress and the training stress we've talked about is is smaller. So, so perhaps these pieces are starting to fit into a puzzle now. Okay. And HRV is a way to measure the total load uh, in the in the body, correct? So that's that's where HRV comes into play. Yeah. Right. So, 
So can you just help us with uh, what's the kind of research and scientific basis behind HRV and its relation to total load? Yeah, sure. So um, HRV is measuring the activity of the parasympathetic branch of the nervous system. And the parasympathetic branch is the branch which is sort of in parallel and works in a complementary manner um, to the sympathetic branch. So the sympathetic branch is what is signaling the total load. So the sympathetic branch of the nervous system is also the one that's responsible for stimulating the production of the adrenaline and cortisol, which is a, a very valuable response, but it's a response that should only be on, it was only designed to be on in the human body for a relatively short period of time. So when, and, and you know, the fight or flight says that quite well. So when we needed to you know, uh, in, in, in the sort of, in the more, the more sort of primitive existence when we needed to fight something, an adversary or a, a, a predator, um, that sympathetic side of the nervous system, you know, w- was, was active and necessarily so. But in modern life, it tends to be on for much longer periods of time than was designed. And what we really want is for the, you know, the, the sympathetic to go away and the parasympathetic to assert itself. Um, so that's, where the relationship to the total load um, comes in. Now, there's a very there's a large body of research on heart rate variability. Um, there's at least fifteen thousand um, uh, studies and uh, reviews, meta analyses that are uh, that are available by by indexing mm-hmm. one of the big research sites like PubMed, for instance, which is one that a lot of you know researchers mm-hmm. would use here. And those investigate all aspects, so relationships between mental and emotional stress to HRV, um, training, there's quite a few sports science reviews there, um, the effects of sleep um, on heart rate variability, um, uh, and, and nutritional styles and nutritional supplements like fish oils, for instance. There's many, many studies relating heart rate variability and and the results are fairly consistent um you know the well-conducted studies all come to similar conclusions um that the well-rested um you know well-adapted body has a high heart rate variability and the body that's under stress um uh, either by lifestyle or by disease as well so people with heart disease with cardiovascular disease um, kidney disease uh, even cancer will will all have quite low levels of heart rate variability. So this 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 total load is well underpinned um, as a concept um, by lots of individual studies. But I think that the, the credit probably goes to uh, a researcher called John Keeley, um, who has done you know some work explicitly explaining the effects of total load and 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 citing heart rate variability as a good holistic measure for total load yeah dr keely's i think works in the uk right university of lancaster or something or i'm not sure whether he's still working there but i i have listened to some interviews uh, with him also uh, yes yeah so it's uh, probably try to get him on one of the shows uh, at a later date uh, so from the way you have explained the heart rate variability just for listeners on a practical basis how do people go about uh, uh, measuring it because one of the advantages that you have clearly outlined is over a period of time you have simplified the you know the way it can be measured you don't need to go to a lab I mean, pretty much you can do it, you know, in a couple of minutes in the morning, right? So can you just explain to listeners what they should be doing? 
Yeah, sure. So um, when I first started, when I came across heart rate variability, um, the studies really, the, the way that the, the HRV was captured or measured fell into a couple of categories when I started looking at this. Um, one of them was um, a sort of a five-minute measure um, or even two five-minute measures, one that was done in the lying position and one done in the standing position. That was called an orthostatic measure. And the other common one was a 24-hour measure. Now, the 24-hour measure was originally conceived as a way really of detecting whether or not um, heart attack patients were going to survive. So if the 24-hour HRV measure was very poor, uh, very low level of HRV, in other words, then that, that you know, that, that had um, really quite a strong um, prognosis effect for the, the people who'd had a heart attack and their chances of survival would be quite low. The five-minute measures um, were intended as, as a short duration, um, but still not a very convenient protocol. So my background being in companies like Philips um, with consumer electronics in mind, I, when I started to think about, okay, so nobody's done... Uh, <laughs> There were very few apps at the time when I started, <laughs> and I was working yeah. with uh, iOS version 2.1, I think it was. So it was, a, it was a good long while ago now. And in fact, nobody had done a heart rate monitor of any kind as an app when I started. Um, so I had to, you know, had to invent a lot of things from scratch. But one of the things that I was very uh, passionate and still am about is that it should take a minimum amount of time but still be scientifically valid. And actually, we found that um, the combination of using a paced breathing exercise or a relaxing breathing exercise where you breathe quite slowly in time with an animation combined with a particular HRV measure called RMSSD. So this is one that, that is, is very widely used now, but uh, we, we were the first to employ it in a, in a consumer device. Um, together with a paced breathing protocol, that would then lead to a number and some color codes as well. So the idea always uh, from the start was this should be a one-minute measure that people could do first thing in the morning. Why first thing in the morning? One is because you can see the impact, the beneficial impact that the sleep has had. So how much has the previous day's stress been alleviated or repaired by the sleep? The other thing um, is that first thing in the morning, uh, you can... Uh, you can get a result which you can apply during the day. So it can help you to make your decisions on what training you're going to be doing that day, whether it's in the morning or whether you're going to be doing a session at lunchtime or even uh, even, even later in the day. Um, so it's a sort of forecast of your, you know, forecast of your uh, physiological headroom, if you like, for the day. The other thing is that it's unlikely that at that point, well, you, sh you should try not to have had caffeinated beverages at that point or dynamic sources of mental stress. So in other words, if you do your reading first thing when you wake up, before you have any coffee, tea, cola, whatever else you like first thing in the morning, um, and before you've read any emails or social media, then what you're, what you're doing is you're controlling for these sort of these, um, these other variables. And that should allow the true underlying level of the of the total load to make itself apparent in your HRV. So basically you use a chest strap, heart rate uh, strap that is, and uh, you do the measurement in conjunction with an app. That's, it's, it's as straightforward as that, right? 
So that that certainly was the original idea, and the the the, the chest strap. So the, the the chest straps coming from the reputable manufacturers are almost as accurate as a as a hospital grade ECG. So the measurement of the heartbeat interval is very important, the accuracy and precision of that. And a chest strap, if it's used, you know, if it's a good reputable one, if it's in good condition, if the contacts are well moistened, that does a very good job. However, there's still, you know, there's a significant part of the population who don't want to put on a chest strap um, uh, first thing every morning. So we then set to work also in producing um, a finger sensor so something which could be clipped onto the finger, which which essentially is like a consumer-friendly version of the kind that's used in hospitals to provide an alternative way to do an accurate measurement. Okay. Uh, so is a higher HRV score than an uh, indicator also of improved fitness? Or is it just, uh, you know, is, is, it's just that your parasympathetic system is in a much better shape? Uh, and uh, does it change over a period of time? Well, what's been your experience? So I think yes to both of those. Um, there are some, some good quality studies that have been done by researchers, including people like Andrew Flatt um, in the University of Alabama in the U.S., that have shown that in um, young elite level athletes, then positive changes in their HRV are predictors of improved performance a few weeks later, which is really interesting. So as if your HRV trend is rising during periods of aerobic training, then that's a good sign that your performance is going to improve as well. And that has also been underpinned or confirmed by uh, studies by um, you know, one, one, probably one of the best-known uh, HRV researchers, uh, Dr. Martin Buscheidt, um, who I think up until recently was uh, performance head of performance at uh, Paris Saint-Germain Football Club, but has done an awful lot of work over more than 10 years in HRV research, showed a pretty clear uh, relationship between improvements in HRV and improvements in 10-kilometer running time. So he showed a, a pretty nice graph of people who had responded well to training programs, their HRV had improved, and their um, their 10K running time had as well. Okay. So leading from there, what are the ways in which, uh, uh, you know, uh, an age group athlete, uh, which will be most of my listeners, yeah. can improve their uh, HRV? What are some of the actions they can take? Yeah, so that's a, that's a pretty good question. And, and in fact, I think one of the most popular um, blog posts we've ever done is is about five ways to improve your HRV. So, um, you know, as well as understanding it, people want to know pretty quickly how to improve it. Um, techniques that, that, that I listed in there and also some that have worked really well for me um, include, I, I think the first thing that I ever tried was... Um, increasing the volume of training I did at a fully aerobic level. So below what's called the, you know, the first lactate threshold. So this is the level at which you should be able to continue a conversation. Um, and you can do some, there, there are various guides online as to what kind of heart rate or pace you can do for this. Phil Maffetone is a, is a, you know, was a, a big supporter of training at the aerobic level because it reduces the amount of stress on the body, but it provides the right stimulus for growing the number of mitochondria as well as the efficiency of the, of, of the cardiovascular circulation. 
So that's one one that I would say is really important. And you can even think of it, it's a very long-term effect. So you can think of it like, um, you know, putting some investment in, in, in the bank, if you like. Every time you do a, a, a long, slow distance or a slow and easy run or a slow and easy cycle ride or swim, you're investing in the efficiency of your of your circulation and in the number of mitochondria, which are the essential transformation um, uh, to make energy in, in, in the muscle cells. Another one that I'm very fond of is uh, slow, deep breathing. So I was I was quite skeptical. My wife um, was was has always been quite quite into yoga, and um, um, and uh, she recommended slow, deep breathing exercises for me when I got a little bit stressed. And actually designed myself an app to to do slow deep breathing pacing, and I found that the effect on my HRV is probably one of the biggest changes that I've ever experienced, and and it's been a permanent one as well. So it's one that where I've stuck with the routine and the improvement has been permanent. Um, so that's a really and, and how long did you take to see improvements? How many weeks or months? Uh, and and how long do you practice this on a daily basis? Yeah, so it, it was only a few days, Raj. And in, in fact, I, at that time, I was doing five minutes uh, of, of slow, deep breathing at around six breaths per minute. So six breaths per minute for the for the listeners is you kind of breathe in for five seconds, breathe out for five seconds, breathe in for five seconds, out for five seconds. Uh, and I don't know whether that would be a, a, a I'm not sure whether that's a pranayama breathing technique or not. I'm not I'm not an expert, although I'd like to learn more about the traditions of slow, deep breathing. Um, but that one I've found has been very helpful. So I think five minutes a day is, is enough to do that. Um, you, you can certainly do it for longer if you like though, as part of meditation or as part of, you know, walking in nature. Uh, another one that I found, which is relevant to the current era that we're, that we're living in is, is actually cold showers or immersion in cold water. And that is very good for stimulating the parasympathetic nervous system. Again, I was quite skeptical about this one until I read a research study of about three and a half thousand people in the Netherlands who um, all they did was at the end of their morning shower, they turned to fully cold for the last 15 to 30 seconds and, you know, were brave and went underneath the water as, as cold as, you know, as cold as they could make it. And they suffer. They they had uh, for winter colds, coughs, and flus. They had a twenty five percent lower incidence than the control group. And it's okay, so now, that's that's quite a big uh, number, right? Twenty five percent is quite a quite a big change. Yes, that that's that's a pretty significant change, and that's something that I do every day as well. Because partly because I think you know we we all want to build our resilience against you know, nasty bugs like COVID in particular. And in fact, you know, our, our company was awarded a grant by the UK government to investigate possible links between heart rate variability and detecting COVID. And so I, you know, I, ha I have a research interest in, in that area, whether we can detect it before the first symptoms come along and whether or not the initial level of your HRV um, has some influence on the level of symptoms and the severity that you're likely to get. Our hypothesis is that it would be because we know that a lot of people who get COVID symptoms really badly are groups of people with with poor HRV levels. Um, so, for instance, type 2 diabetics, people with cardiovascular disease, people who are overweight or obese, 
they all have low HRV levels and they all get COVID badly. That's not to say, you know, there's definitely a causal link there, but there does seem to be an association. So we're, invest- we're, we're trying to investigate that. And if anybody, you know, is recording their HRV and they've had COVID or they think they've had COVID, it's still time in the next few days to, to please fill in a questionnaire and send us your data. You can do that on the iFleet um, blog, myifleet.com slash, slash, slash blog. So if anybody would, you know, is, is, uh, who's listening to this has, has had that experience and they record their HRV, then we, we'd really like to get your data. I, I will put it in the links into the show notes anyway, so that it's Thank easier you. for the listeners. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that those were three. And what are yeah. the other two? Yeah, you said yeah, five, uh, five. I'm trying to remember the other two. Um, I think one was um, adopting a, a, a diet that works well for you. So I don't think there's any universally uh, great diet, um, but it seems to me that my body you know, although I have quite a sweet tooth, my body doesn't actually really like sugar very much except during exercise. Um, so I try to, you know, I try to eliminate sweets and, 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 and sugar and biscuits from the house that I'm not tempted to eat them. And I, I think that's, that's probably had a benefit. And then the final one is, is, um, sleep hygiene. So, um, just quality of sleep, making, try to make sure that you get, you know, uh, to, to bed at a regular time. Um, and that you're, you know, you, you prepare yourself properly. So your bedroom's going to be cool enough. 18 degrees centigrade is, is ideal, although obviously not easy at this time of year in hot, in warmer countries. Um, but try to keep yourself cool during, during sleep. Um, you know, try not to be disturbed. Um, try not to use electronic devices much or at all in the hour before you go to bed. So good quality sleep is a, is a big enabler of, of boosting your, 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 your HRV. Thank you very much to all the listeners. Please check out the podcast website, runfitraj.com. That is R-U-N-F-I-T-R-A-J.com. It has all the podcasts, it has all the show notes, and there is a very useful search function as well. You can reach out to me on my social media handles, which are running and fitness with Raj on both Instagram and Facebook. And you can also email me on runningandfitnesswithraj at gmail.com. Please let me know if you have any questions or specific guests you would like to see on the show. I also request you all again to please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word. Please also leave a review on iTunes as it will help enormously to grow the show. We will continue to bring you exciting and interesting guests and give specific and actionable advice. Stay safe, stay healthy. Until the next show, goodbye. Goodbye.